The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode, I am joined by our return guests, Louise and Jacinta. On this series, we're going to be discussing the topic of children's TV and movies, the subject of TV and movies as far as entertainment and informational source for adults is also a major issue because of the different pitfalls and hidden agendas peculiar to them. So depending upon listener feedback, we may discuss that subject in a future show. However, we consider the dangers of this form of entertainment insofar as to our children to be so enormous that the commensurate sense of urgency compelled us mothers to bring this topic to our listeners sooner rather than later. We'll be discussing issues which will make part of these episodes unsuitable for children, so parents, please make sure to listen to these out of earshot of your children. Welcome back, Louise. Thank you, Teresa. It's fantastic to be here. And welcome back, Jacinda. Thanks, Teresa. I'm glad I can be here again. So, Louise, where should we start? To begin with, I think most listeners already know that allowing their children to watch live-to-air TV per se is out of the question. And I would expect most trads or even conservative Novus Ordos would be well and truly across this. But just in case, I'll state the obvious. The simple fact that given a parent can't check the material for suitability prior to its being viewed by the children alone makes the option of TV untenable. For certain stations, there's the added risk of commercials, which are notoriously filthy, and news flashes, which are simply anti-Catholic brainwashing propaganda. So no, no Catholic can in good conscience let their children watch any live-to-air TV. Well, that's good. We've hardly started our show and we've already nailed the subject of TV, that's live-to-air TV, as categorically out of the question for anyone who desires the salvation of their child's soul. If only everything in life were that easy. Now we can move right into movies and TV series that are available to watch on demand, such as on DVD, video or internet. It's worth the curse to be mentioned that unlike standard books, The actual nature of this sort of media in itself makes it something to be feared if in the wrong hands. There is actually a lot of information on the subject of the mind-controlling and emotional manipulation powers of this sort of media, but for now, I will only share a few quotes. So what I've got here to begin with, most importantly, we have Pope Pius XI in his encyclical Divini Ilius Magistri, wherein he expresses the dangers of cinema and the careful vigilance required. And then quoting from his Vigilante Cura in 1936, he says, There does not exist today a means of influencing the masses more potent than the cinema. The reason for this is to be sought for in the very nature of the pictures projected upon the screen, in the popularity of motion picture plays, and in the circumstances which accompany them. The power of the motion picture consists in this, that it speaks by means of vivid and concrete imagery, which the mind takes in with enjoyment and without fatigue. Even the crudest and most primitive minds, which have neither the capacity nor the desire to make the efforts necessary for abstraction or deductive reasoning, are captivated by the cinema. In place of the effort which reading or listening demands, there is a continued pleasure of a succession of concrete and, so to speak, living pictures. 
This power is still greater in the talking picture for the reason that interpretation becomes even easier and the charm of music is added to the action of the drama. So you can see the relevance here, and I'll continue with what he says. He goes on to say, Since then, the cinema is in reality a sort of object lesson, which, for good or for evil, teaches the majority of men more effectively than abstract reasoning, it must be elevated to conformity with the aims of a Christian conscience and saved from depraving and demoralizing effects. He goes on to say, Everyone knows what damage is done to the soul by bad motion pictures. They are occasions of sin. They seduce young people along the ways of evil by glorifying the passions. They show life under a false light. They cloud ideals. They destroy pure love, respect for marriage, affection for the family. They are capable also of creating prejudices among individuals and misunderstandings among nations, among social classes, among entire races. And that's the end of quote. These are powerful warnings from Holy Mother Church. And we have a moral obligation to take heed. And just think, that was written in 1936. So the manipulation technology and the immorality has increased astronomically since then. Now let's hear a sample of what the culprits themselves have to say about it. So we have David Putnam, or Putnam, I don't know how you pronounce his name, producer of The Mission and The Chariots of Fire, and he made the public statement, movies are powerful. They steal up on you in the darkness of the cinema to form or conform social attitudes. In short, cinema is propaganda. He said it. Um, I could quote many other examples of filmmakers flagrantly touting the power of their craft. It was already considered the most effective method of propaganda before World War II. Now, we have an independent researcher who has studied the influence of film, Dr. Eric Pepper, and he said, the horror of television is that the information goes in. It goes right into our memory pool, and perhaps we react to it later, but we don't know what we are reacting to. When you watch television, you are training yourself. So later on, you're doing things without knowing why you're doing them or where they came from. That's the end of his quote. So Jacinta, can you explain some additional things you know about the nature of this form of media, tapping into your insights from your studies and your experience as a school teacher? No worries, Teresa. Well, I think to start off with, the scariest part of these children's movies is just the subtlety that many of them have. So when you watch an adult movie, it's usually pretty obvious to see how the director attempts to attack our morals. But with the children's shows, many of them can seem nice and good for kids to watch. But it's only when you look more deeply at them that you can see that it's actually quite the opposite. Now, because of that, many parents will let their kids watch the same movies again and again and again, thinking that they're at least watching something decent. And while they're doing that, the kids are absorbing the subtle attacks on Catholicism or on morals in general via the hidden and subliminal messages of the movie. I mean, in many cases, depending on the movie, the overt messages and inappropriate images are bad enough. These are blatant assaults on Catholic morality. And, you know, we've all heard of the creepy subliminal messages too. We mustn't discard this as some crazy conspiracy theory because obviously the makers of the movies must believe in their effectiveness or else why would they put them in there? I mean, this is stuff that's even common knowledge in the mainstream. It's studied in high school and university psychology courses. Another thing is the fact that using subliminal messaging in the advertising in cinemas to make patrons buy more food and drink has been outlawed indicates that law courts deem this technique effective and recognise it as immoral conduct. It's funny how they would uh, recognise that as immoral conduct but wouldn't care about the content of the movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, I have to say, when I watch a film being a cynic, I always watch it with an air of cynicism and scepticism. 
And I do try to keep my eye out for anything that's contrary to my beliefs. In the case of a few of the films that we're discussing tonight, I've seen them prior to preparing for the show. And Teresa, when you told us what movies we'll be focusing on, I ran through my head the problems I'd had with each one. It was only when we looked into some analyses of the films, though, that I realised how many other problematic elements I'd actually missed. So, you know, if a cynical woman like me has missed them, what hope of busy parents or teenagers watching them got? Now, going through some of the elements used to manipulate us unknowingly while we watch movies, firstly, there's the use of music to control mood and emotions, coupled with dynamic, vibrant or dark, detailed scenes. I don't know if you've ever tried to watch part of a movie with the um, volume off, but it has a very different feel to it than if you actually watch it with the music going. Definitely. Um, so this is another means proven to be strongly manipulative. So this, along with all the subliminal messaging within a film, works in concert to make for a very powerful impression on a child's mind, not to mention an adult's mind too. So we must understand that when we sit a child in front of a DVD, we're not just amusing or entertaining him, like, you know, sitting a child in front of a harmless puppet show or something, but we're actually instructing and indoctrinating the child very effectively in whatever that DVD's message happens to be. So it's one thing for a child to watch a movie with a bad message once, but if you consider how children actually have a tendency to watch the same movie again and again and again, you can see how this easily and usually becomes the dominant mind shaper of children, given the message of the movie is hammered into their developing minds much more than any parental input or lessons from any other sources. And if you look at how the world today is and the fact that many parents aren't actually there for their children when they should be, um, it makes the fact that these movies are there shaping them even more detrimental. For the Catholic parent, this is actually an extremely serious issue as we run the risk of indoctrinating them via the mainstream media. We run the risk of this being more influential than even their religious instructions if we don't keep a very, very tight rein on what and also how much they watch. Um, I'm always amazed at how much TV some and movies some families watch. You know, some secular friends of mine, for example, they've got one of those giant flat screen TVs in their house. And I don't think I've ever actually been to their house when the TV hasn't been on. And I mean, this isn't uncommon. And even if no one's sitting down watching it, it's there in the background brainwashing everyone very um, sneakily. Now, Pope Pius the Eleventh gave the direction that one shouldn't even listen to a, a radio show unless they would actually be comfortable welcoming the radio host into their home to teach them. And that should actually be our rule of conduct when it comes to our choice of radio shows. And given that this is the church's view on how careful we adults must be about simply listening to the radio, it shows how much more we must be careful of what we view on the screen. And then how much more careful, again, we must be with what our children are watching. It's been officially stated that the devil physically works with the likes of the Freemasons, also known as the Illuminati, etc., towards their wicked ends. So we should understand that all this perversion we are seeing around us didn't just happen by men on their own, simply giving in to their fallen human nature. Such rapid and unidirectional degradation of a formerly strong Christian society is not natural. If you think of how much things have degraded in the last 100 or even 50 or even you know 10 or 20 years, it's not natural. There has to have been some additional exceedingly mighty driving forces and we know that there have been and they're even more active than ever today. Now Lucifer, due to his angelic nature, understands our human nature much better than we do. I suppose you could say he's a master of psychology. His understanding of natural sciences is vastly superior too. 
He has aided and continues to aid directly certain men entirely given over to evil, occultists, Freemasons, etc., providing them with cutting-edge tools of science, technology, and psychology alongside total control of the media and all major institutions, including our government, to corrupt mankind to a truly diabolical extent. These evil men who basically whore themselves out to the devil get their power, money, and worldly pleasures in return. But Satan gets his cut of the deal, too. And, of course, that primarily means the damnation of souls in the short term. However, it doesn't just end there. We need to synthesize all that we know from what the church teaches us with what we know is happening. And logically, we have to conclude that what is forming around us is an antichrist new world order. And we must protect ourselves and our families in every way we can from this demonic regime. This requires, first and foremost, a solid practice of our faith with prayer, penance and vigilance. You know, our Lord said, watch and pray. And at the same time, we must avoid sin and unnecessary occasions of sin. The modern media is categorically one of the main occasions of sin during our times. And by carrying out this latter duty of avoidance of occasion of sin, especially the mainstream media, we simultaneously bring about the best protection possible from this antichrist system. And in return for our faithfulness, we can expect God's merciful protection from the assaults of these principalities and powers against which we otherwise wouldn't stand a chance. I'm guessing some of our usual listeners are now thinking, why are we telling you what you already know? Well, the fact is that in our experience, we've noticed that most Catholic parents actually don't know just how dangerous modern media is. And it's partly due to its insidious nature and they are therefore allowing their families to partake of this form of entertainment, which has no place whatsoever in the Catholic home. So the three of us have done some of the dirty work to clarify the main issues for you and to help you explain to your contacts. And there actually are many parents in the wider trad, so-called trad Catholic community who actually don't have a clue what they're dealing with, and they're regrettably steeped in the TV movie anti-culture. Now, I'll give you an extreme example, and... I recall some years back in the height of the Harry Potter obsession. I don't know if you remember that particular oh, one. Every single one of my secular friends was obsessed with that. Well, it was just, it was cross. It was, it was incredible. Everywhere. It was incredible. Well, at the time, two respected, long-standing R&R parents told my husband and me, and they said, we checked it out, and there's actually nothing wrong with that series, and they were even recommending them to us. And we thought they were pulling our leg at first, but it actually turned out they were deadly serious. Anyway, during the course of discussing this, one of them ended up saying that it's essentially no different to letting our children watch the old TV series Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. I don't know if you remember those. And they were saying, oh, no one would have a problem with that. So why the huge overreaction to Harry Potter? At least they're consistent there. Oh, but it's gobsmacking. <laughs> they're all bad. The other thing people often say is, you know, oh, well, what's the difference between Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter? I guess that's why Charlotte, this will help. Because yes. there is a difference. Yes. Um, but... Seriously, I mean, all of us know they wouldn't let our kids watch Bewitched or Archie in a pink fit, So, as we would not with Harry Potter. So if we've got so-called upstanding trads and they can't even recognise something as blatant as Harry Potter, for goodness sake, and similarly brazen promotions of witchcraft, what chance did they stand against the countless less obvious yet still profoundly corrupting messages that are riddled through virtually every production? Now, more recent examples are the Catholic parents who allow their young children to repeatedly watch such movies as Frozen. Now, many very young children have been watching that one virtually day in and day out for about a year already. And the parents might say, well, it's Disney, it's only rated PG, and at least the main characters are dressed modestly, so it's fine. I mean, one wonders where to begin. Well, today we are attempting what seems the impossible, and we hope our listeners will take it from there. 
Now, Louise, as an overview to lay it out right up front, would you please list the main elements we have found prominently featured in the general body of children's movies and TV shows, especially over the past two decades, yet certainly not limited to then, and which almost every single mainstream production contains at least one element, but we found usually quite a lot. Sure, Teresa. But before I do list all those elements that are found in these films, I just wanted to, uh, we've heard from the from the Holy Father what, uh, what we are to think of cinema, and I want to go back and read a couple of quotes from the Bible to remind us as well what we should be watching and filling our minds with. This is from the Philippians. For the rest, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever modest, whatsoever just, whatsoever holy, whatsoever lovely, whatsoever of good fame, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise of discipline, think on these things. And contrarywise, listen to Ephesians. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not so much as be named among you as becometh saints. What that quote is telling us is these uncleanness and these evil fornication, these evil things should not even be in our conversation. And yet a lot of these children's films are full of these things mm. and they're not just in the conversation, they're hypnotically being pounded into the brain and subconsciously and overtly in some cases. So this is what we're going to lay out. So getting back to the films, Teresa, as to what exactly is in them, well, the first thing that came to my mind is what is not in it. The first thing that's not that isn't there is God. There is a total absence of God in these films, in these modern films. There's no mention of our dependence upon him. There's no mention of the necessity of prayer. There's no mention of angels or of the moral law. And if there is any mention, it is only to ridicule these things. But what we do find is it is usually full of disobedient and disrespectful children as the norm. Often there's the actual removal of parents or effective removal of parental authority in some way. And the children have been established as their own and best guide. And I should mention as well that another thing that's the same is actually modern children's literature. So children who are actually not there in front of the TV being zombies and actually wanting to read, a lot of what they're reading is also echoing a lot of, a lot of these yes, things. Yes, I think we should definitely do an entire show dedicated to children's literature as well because that's a whole other story, but the same sorts of problems that we're finding in the movies and TV is through the greater body of children's literature as well yeah. these days. But anyway, well, mm. that's a very good point, isn't it? In fact, a lot of the literature is actually based on these movies. You can buy the Frozen book, for example. If they're written for the movies. They've yeah. got all the movies' pictures in them. They're stills yes. from the movies, for example, in the books. So yes. the movie came first in some cases, in many mm. cases. So continuing on, we often see single-parent scenarios presented or divorced <clears throat> parents, and we also have added in extramarital relationships being spelled out in the films. There is outright ridicule of parents and other authority figures, particularly religious authorities. The male authority figures, the fathers and the priests, are the most attacked and are stereotyped as either buffoons or evil and vice-ridden controllers. There's the fuzzying of boundaries between the good guys and the bad guys in the earlier films, progressing over time to write out inversions of what is good and what is bad in a lot of recent productions, thus fostering moral relativity at best right through to blatant exaltation of evil, including but not limited to telling of lies as par for the course, the end justifying the means and ultimately that each person is their own judge and personal God. 
These films make us think that it's all about our feelings and emotions, which we know is just modernist sentimentality. We see violence, aggression, revenge in the protagonists with whom we are manipulated to relate to and sympathise. Immodest attire as the norm. Prurient images and behaviour, even in early teens' characters. Not uncommon for even as young as 13-year-olds to have boyfriends and girlfriends, whereas Catholics should know that those who are not old enough to marry should not be courting in any way. The immodesty and prurient nature are particularly striking even in movies as old as Disney's Aladdin, The Little Mermaid and Pocahontas and DreamWorks' Road to El Dorado. And it has become pervasive through most movies since then. It's very shocking, unfortunately. And whilst making Pocahontas, for example, a pantheistic, pagan, seductive sex symbol, they just happened to leave out of the movie that she actually converted to Christianity. There are even pornographic, subliminal messages that have been found in children's movies, and this has been exposed, and people can look it up and have a look on the internet for themselves. That's the Mm. thing with a lot of this, you might think it's exaggeration, but you look on the internet, it's all there. The evidence is there for anyone who chooses to look. That's it. This is just the start. We're hoping people will really do their own research and become totally convinced of how unbelievably evil these films are. Mm. We also find in the films feminism, cross-dressing, effeminate men and the LGBT agenda, which is the sodomitic agenda. Of course, we see materialism, encouraging greed and avarice. Basically, every kind of vice is glorified and presented as the norm with very rarely any shame or repentance. It's just outrageous. Now, it's not even the entirety of the list. That's just about half of it. So, Jacinta, uh, we split the list up between Louise and Jacinta. So and even then it's probably not completely. Oh, this is just what we found in a short look at it. So I'm sure our listeners will come up with heaps more, and I'm sure they're shocked enough already. Nevertheless, would you please finish the list for us, Jacinta? No worries. Well, there's the environmentalist agenda. Very, very blatant. I know, remember in the 90s there was definitely a big push towards that, um, but even still now. And many films now, um, cartoons and actual films, you can see things like chemtrails in the background, um, so promoting the idea of geoengineering. There's crest language and name-calling, you know, sometimes even outright blasphemy, and often it's quite young children who are using um, that kind of language. There's sacrilegious depictions and comments. There's the heavy use of rock music and suggestive shake-it dancing scenes. And these portions of the movies are usually much louder than the dialogue portions. And we were discussing earlier that often um, the music that's on in these movies is often then echoed in radio, airplay and things like that. So you can't get away from it if you happen to be, you know, plugged into the movies and and radio. There's the use of nice soul-stirring music when selling evil propaganda as a good. So, for example, when the nice piano music or the violin music starts, that equals cue that brainwashing time is about to begin. There's animals being given human characteristics. It kind of fudges the boundaries between man and animal, and this reinforces um, the whole deception of evolution. There's the worship of technology and scientific knowledge, so transhumanism, man's apotheosis via technology and science and evolution, Teilhard de Chardin's Omega Point all over and more. There's extraterrestrial aliens. This, And I've noticed in recent years there seem to be a whole heap of alien movies and it's often, overwhelming. Yeah. 
And they have them in all genres. There's the sci-fi, there's the comedy, there's the kids' movies, everything. And often it'll be, you know, aliens invading the Earth. This is just promoted everywhere. There's the concept of, you know, good evolutionary, <clears throat> evolutionary advanced intelligent aliens versus bad aliens. And there's also the divinization of aliens. Okay, there's the inversion of traditional symbols and fairy tales to promote the opposite morality and meanings to the original Catholic traditional forms. So they call these fractured fairy tales, and that's sort of a, a big thing in recent years. And I suppose an example of that would be something like Shrek, where they take, you know, elements of an actual fairy tale and mess with it. And there have been a few um, that have come out in recent years as well, like um, fractured versions of Hansel and Gretel and um, Snow White and things like that. I don't even think I can think of a single movie for the last probably 20 years that was a fairy tale that wasn't fractured or totally inverted. They do not match my traditional fairy tale books. Yeah. They, they truly don't. So, so that's really important for parents to realise, especially ones who aren't familiar with the traditional fairy tales, to know that what Disney's dishing up and what other, other modern media is dishing up does not represent the true fairy tale. Go back and look at the Hans Christian Andersen version. They are not the same. But anyway, I'll let you go on, Jacinta. <clears throat> There's um, sort of Gnosticism um, in a lot of the movies. There's Satanism in its various forms, including magic, New Age concepts, um, often things like, you know, unicorns. And with a lot of these New Age things, people have no idea that they actually are New Age and what their origins are. Um, there's other occultism and witchcraft being either openly promoted or covertly inserted. And I think witchcraft has become pretty much mainstream these days and kids have this idea that you know white magic is okay you know if you're doing magic for a good purpose um but it's the black magic that you have to avoid they don't realize that it all comes from the devil and as a teacher it scared me earlier this year when the kids in my class were doing this thing where they would get it's a slightly off topic but they would get two pencils and put them in a cross shape and they were right yes yes no no in the um, kind of like a Ouija board thing. Yeah, and they would say, they would do this thing where they'd say, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And I'm, I'm like, what are you doing? And I, I, I had to say to them, you know, do your work, stop that. And I thought, well, what is this? And I happened to come across something about it on the internet, and they were basically saying that it has occultic origins and it's like a little portable Ouija board that they make. Oh, up. spooky. Well, the problem about the Wiccan or white magic and that whole concept is it's, it's obviously witchcraft. But it basically boils down to the end justifying the means, which is totally opposite mm. to what the Catholic morality teaches, that the end does not justify the means. So they're saying as long as it's a good result at the end, we can do whatever we want along the way. And that's pretty much what all these movies promote, yeah. all of them. All of them will let you just do whatever you want if you Lie get the end result that you want. And that's, that's one aspect that they're doing this with. And another thing that's sort of, um, I know there was a big phase with it a couple of years ago was the whole vampire thing with this Twilight saga and people don't realise that vampires as well um, do have very occultic origins. Um, so Satan, whether directly or via traditional symbolisms of Satan, um, exists. So there's, he's sort of repackaged either as being some sort of creature that's misunderstood, able to be reformed or tamed, or the victim or one to be sympathised with, the good guy who wants to help us be liberated from the evil God who's lied to us, or even just simply the true God who can help us become gods too. So collectively, Disney movies are heavily magic-oriented, even from way back, you know, think of Fantasia. 
Um, and there's many demonic figures who are not accepted by most of humanity, except for one or a handful of enlightened humans, in quotation marks there, who throughout each movie eventually bring about a peaceful coexistence between humans and the demon figures. These enlightened ones and the demon figures become the heroes, the humans overall are the stupid or the bad guys in the movie. Um, collectively, the Pixar movies, so remembering that Pixar is actually a subsidiary of Disney, don't all have magic, but all of them have some sort of non-human beings, whether it's animals or um, artificial intelligent forms, aliens, monsters, transhumanism or superhumans, either existing on their own or interacting with humans. Humans generally don't accept them except for one or for a handful of enlightened or open-minded people who are humane enough to see that they can coexist to the benefit of both species. And a happy coexistence comes by the end of the movie. These enlightened ones and the non-humans become the heroes. The humans overall are the stupid or the bad guys in the story. It's just outrageous. That is a horrifying list we've come up with. <clears throat> and most of those are exceedingly disturbing. And I'm sure we've missed so much because none of us are actually into this uh, movie and TV culture. But these findings are based, as, as Teresa has said, on just a short stint of research into this sordid subject. And it's actually really opened my eyes because it's much worse than I even thought it was before. Mm -hmm. If any of our listeners would like to email us with any additions to this list, please do so. I think perhaps the most disturbing is the divinization of the environment, man, the devil or aliens. They have covered all the bases, Teresa, of false God options and they're doctrinally blaspheming the one true God and denying his existence and rights. We haven't time in these episodes to present examples of films or TV shows for every single element in our list, but there are trailers and reviews of children's movies online. Perhaps you have some DVDs at home, listeners, so you can do your own research and see that unbelievable as all this sounds, we are not making any of this up or exaggerating any of this. At this point, we'd like to remind you that you're listening to the Catholic Home and the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by Jacinta and Louise, and today we've been discussing the battle for your child's soul via the entertainment industry. We want to remind you that the Catholic Home is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. As far as producers, to my reckoning, Disney is probably the worst of the lot. But don't get me wrong, I'm convinced that all of the big-time movie producers are rotten to the core and they all work relentlessly on the same satanic agendas. I single out Disney only because of its more insidious nature due to being branded as the long-established, quote, family-friendly producer when it is actually far from that. In fact, Disney has been very evil and satanic right from the start, and it's almost uh, a unbelievable that they've ever even gained this squeaky clean image in people's minds. They've I don't worked know. hard for it, I think. Yeah, it's almost like they've they've conjured demons to, to get that for them because they've never deserved that image right from the start. It should be noted that Disney, who own numerous other companies in the media industry, are kind of the overlords of the whole mess. They have been actively and openly promoting the sodomitic agenda reportedly including annual gay days and gay-only access to their, quote, pleasure island at their theme parks. They have discounts for gay couples at their hotels and resorts and the majority of their employees on every level are open gays. The list goes on. 
They even publicly announced around 14 years ago or so that they will be using their profits to further this agenda. This is who is making our children's movies. They're the ones preaching to our children. Well, well not mine, but <laughs> many people's. Yeah, to the children of, of this world. The voice actors for The Lion King's Timon and Pumbaa proudly announced in an interview in the New York Times in 1994 that they were the first homosexual Disney characters to ever come to the screen. In June 1996, Disney helped host the annual Gay Day at Disney World and allowed the organisers to portray Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck as a gay couple and Minnie Mouse and Daisy Duck as lesbians. Yuck. It's just gross. Um, as if that's on or enough for every single Catholic to know they must categorically avoid Disney at all costs, in today's episode we will focus on just the films branded as Disney to present our first few movie analyses to demonstrate some of the ways that they are actively corrupting your children. Now, Louise, would you present our findings on Maleficent, for starters, as this one demonstrates very well what we mentioned in the list about the inversion of traditional fairy tales and symbolism, and also the repackaging of the devil as the good guy, or should I say good gal. Anyway, despite its obvious dark theme, this movie was actually marketed primarily as a children's movie. I will, Teresa. To begin with, this is said to be, as you said, a variation of the Sleeping Beauty fairy tale, and you will notice that the Maleficent character is clearly the same one as depicted in Disney's 1959 animation of Sleeping Beauty. If one were to screen the modern movie on a website such as kidsinmind.com or screenit.com, one would find it listed as PG, category of impurity as a 1 rating, which is very low compared to most movies. Profanity is a 2 rating due to mild name-calling and a mild, moderate violence rating. So based on an initial assessment, a parent could easily think, oh, okay, it's Disney, uh, so it's family-friendly, it's PG because of mild violence. There's hardly any modesty, nothing compared to what they would see just walking down the street. Uh, there's only minor name-calling. And, of course, how can one go wrong with the classic Sleeping Beauty, right? Wrong. <laughs> Way wrong. The truth of the matter is that the character Maleficent is clearly a satanic figure. Her realm is shown as being separate and superior to the realm of the humans. She has superior powers. She has devil-looking horns and the overall appearance, including these bat-like wings. She basically looks like the classic Lucifer image, but female or perhaps even androgynous. She is so scary-looking, in fact, that apparently the child actors who were tried out for the movie were visibly shaken mm, by her appearance and that therefore Angelina Jolie's own daughter had to fulfil the role. She was the only one who could keep, oh. keep from her knees trembling. Um, but back to the movie, she actually states in one part of this movie, this um, character Maleficent, she invokes, quote, all the powers of hell, unquote, in this movie, at a point just before she transforms herself into a giant dragon. Can you imagine if your children decided to copy that part of the movie in your home. It's horrifying. Yeah, unbelievable. The first major deviation which sets the tone for the underlying message in this movie is that deep down Maleficent is good and that unlike the third fairy godmother who is traditionally a guardian or a holy angel figure, being the one who mitigates Maleficent's curse, it's actually Maleficent herself who adds the mitigating factor. The overall picture painted by this movie is essentially 
that the evil characters are in fact good and the good characters are in fact evil. The traditionally good fairy godmothers were shown to be petty, spiteful creatures with very little empathy. This film is trying to basically confuse young minds on how to discern the usually obvious cues as to who is good and therefore who is to be trusted and emulated and who is evil and therefore to be opposed. Satan is the good guy, or should I say the good gal, who was victimised by a human man who stole her wings of power in order for himself to earn the king's kingdom and rule the world of man. The princess's and indeed the whole world of man's real friend is made out to be this Satan figuress. You do the maths. Work it out who we are they are getting your children to sympathise with and to side with. The princess, instead of being liberated by the prince's kiss in the film, recall that the prince and the happy ever after of the fairy tales symbolise respectively Christ and the eternity in heaven? No, in this film, his kiss is ineffectual and instead the princess is freed from the curse by the true love's kiss from Maleficent herself. Some parents might be grossed out of what seems to be a feminist and LGBT agenda therein, but this goes much, much deeper and is even actually much more sinister than even that. The most chilling theme in this movie is that the love of the demonic, and in fact, the chief of demons, Maleficent herself, is the saviour of Sleeping Beauty, and this trumps human love, which fails to wake the princess. The true love of God is totally absent from the movie. What is openly being taught here is that the worship of Satan is in fact the efficacious salvation of mankind. Make no mistake, Satan is commonly portrayed in the feminine form, as he has chosen to do in this film. Whatever the case, it is a recurring theme, and this film is about the most overt Satan-worshipping film that I've yet set eyes upon. A theme I've noticed in this film, and many others I've reviewed, is that the evildoers always actually get the good result from their evil. In this movie, one subtle example of this is that Maleficent forces a bird into her service and changes the animal, the poor little bird, into many forms that are even repugnant to the creature itself. However, by the end of the film, the bird has become the faithful friend and follower of Maleficent. Just the opposite would actually happen if someone was to force a creature into their service. They wouldn't become the best faithful follower. Uh, and, and your friend after that terrible treatment. Maleficent herself is the inverse of human nature. Her good nature compels her to overcome her initial desire for revenge, whereas human nature is fallen and we must try to overcome our evil inclinations. So again, it's subtly teaching children that humans are in fact evil to the core and that devils and the devil himself is actually good at the core, which is the exact opposite. <clears throat> What we also see in this movie is a, and a trend in recent decades is the witch and demonic characters are extremely glamorous, albeit in a dark way. No more ugly green hags with the warts on the noses of the old. Uh, now we're seeing these glammed up, highly seductive witches and demonic figures, such as in the new version of The Wizard of Oz, as if the original isn't bad enough, series such as Twilight, Vampires and Disney cartoon series called Witch. The end result is the children see them as desirable role models and idols and believe me this is working. People who I've worked with, secular people, 
and they've presumably been brought up watching these films, to them it's routine and commonplace to go and have their palm read and to come back to work and talk all about it over coffee, to have their cards done. This tarot cards and these things, these are commonplace with your average office workers these days. And where did it all start? I believe it has in fact started from these movies, which has brought this, uh, what was always considered taboo, it's brought it right into the mainstream, these satanic and occult practices. It's so diabolical. And you're right, it's been conditioning for literally decades. Mm -hmm. Now we see from what you said that Maleficent demonstrates very well what we call the repackaging of Satan, and it's in one of its more obvious portrayals. But we see at the same time this concept in many movies, including this one, there's actually two, called How to Train Your Dragon, and there's actually one more in the making, wherein the dragon is portrayed as simply misunderstood and not inherently evil, as well as another film called Book of Dragons, and all these are just since 2010. Mm. Now, I haven't seen any of these movies, um, but just watching the trailers and reading the synopses and reviews sufficiently demonstrates what they are about. So we know the dragon, of course, is a traditional symbol of the devil. So we do know that the underlying message of such films, when they are inverting this, we know that those dragons mean the devil. Thus, we easily see the pervasiveness of Satanism in the film industry. One thing um, with I should comment on with How to Train Your Dragon is that, that there was also actually a specific... Um, mention in there with a, a gay character. Um, Another thing with Maleficent is, is. her horns <clears throat> actually, what is it, Bahamut or something? Baphomet. Yeah. yeah. Maleficent's horns Baphomet. look like the Baphomet. And the Baphomet, is, it's, that's a, one of the major demons that the Illuminati slash Freemasons worship. So the Baphomet is essentially a male and female devil type mm. of false god. And so if you look at the character of Maleficent, she very much is a Baphomet type of character. When I saw um, sort of some of the movie, that was the one thing that struck me and I immediately went um, on the internet and, and Googled it and, yeah, all this stuff came up about that. So I thought, yeah, it's not just me imagining it. It's obviously designed to be like that. Now, How to Train Your Dragon, that, so that was a DreamWorks production, by the way. You think when you boycott Disney that DreamWorks is okay? Guess what? It's not. They are DreamWorks as well. It's all interconnected, isn't it? They yep. all have the same master. Yep. yep. <laughs> Literally and spiritually. So in, in How to Train Your Dragons 2, um, there was there was one um, character who, yeah, they, they said was actually gay. So, yep, Gobber is coming out of the closet, the director told E! News. So obviously the director of this movie when he was being interviewed. I think that's a really fun and daring move to put in. I love the idea that Gobber is Burke's resident gay. So um, Burke is obviously the, the town that this movie is set in. So the um, director of How to Train Your Dragon 2 actually came out and said that, yes, um, this character, Gobber, was gay. And so there's a quote in the movie um, where there's a husband and a wife arguing and um, this character Gobba says that's the reason he never got married and then he says and one other reason and it's put in there very subtly as sort of an aside that if you weren't looking out for it you wouldn't really notice it but it's obviously put there um, intentionally yeah and if you add up all of these in the whole spread of the movies and tvs that children are imbibing it's just a continual brainwashing it's a big assault yes it is so, Jacinta, would you now please present our findings on the hugely popular movie Frozen? 
hugely popular is an understatement, I think. So to begin with, you have to only look at the um, merchandising for this movie. Now, without going into too much detail, you just walk around the shops and it's everywhere, you know, from, you know, cereals to frozen yogurt, no pun intended, <laughs> um, and, you know, the toys and everything. And just going shopping in recent weeks um, when we've been preparing for this show has just sort of hit me um, more so than usual. Um, and we were discussing, Teresa, as well, that um, even with, say, Huggies nappies, um, so when you've got a baby like mine who will often sleep for 16 hours at a time, you need the nappies that work, yet Huggies, they're in there with Disney and you've either got, you know, the Pooh Bear or the, you know, Mickey Minnie Mouse um, on these nappies. And it's printed on the boxes, it's printed on the diapers. It's They're getting children as young as possible to be accepting the Disney culture. Yeah. And I'd even noticed that the fruit and vegetables, especially fruit, is packaged in little plastic containers with Disney. Disney <laughs> stuff. And you can't even order bananas or apples and or your mandarins and they're coming packaged in Disney. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You'd think you'd be free from it with um, fresh produce, but no. apparently not. So anyway, um, going back to the analysis of Frozen, um, when we watch it, we're confronted with a lot of offensive content. In fact, its main catechetical doctrine seemed to be feminism and the idea of coming out. And, I mean, that might seem ridiculous that in a movie that's for a child for children, that's the main theme, but make no mistake, lots of people who are both for and against um, the LBGT, seems like there are more and more letters added to this each year, doesn't it? I think there's one more added to the LGBT. I think there's a U, isn't it? There. Right. Let's just throw in every letter of the alphabet. Um, but anyway, both sides for and against are actually insisting that um, this is actually the case. And again, if you think that this is unbelievable, look it up on the internet. Um, so this time the movie focuses on empowering the girls while at the same time emasculating the boys. And also what's bad is that the majority of the movie um, has a display of magical powers for which the artists have used every way possible to appear truly breathtaking and magnificent. Just looking at the movie from a cinematography viewpoint, it is actually a well-made movie. Um, and I suppose that's probably one reason kids kind of seem to get hooked on it. Um, but in fact, the story is actually entirely founded upon magic portrayed as good. But there seems to be a layering of meanings as these magical powers that the main character is said to be born with, that she's made to try and hide and suppress, seem to also represent her lesbianism, as I'm going to describe as we go through this. Um, so the main character is a princess who later becomes a queen and she has magical powers. She turns things into ice. So we know from the very start that she's different from other girls. As a child, while she's playing with her sister, she accidentally freezes her and this frightens her and her parents. So her parents, who were the king and the queen, look in an old book and the book seems to look very much like a witchcraft manual to find a map of where to go to find help. So they go to a creepy circular opening in the woods surrounded by terraced rocks, sort of similar to devil-worshipping places. There's a bunch of rocks that seem to come to life and we see that they're rock people, whom we're told later are trolls. There's a wise leader figure who asks about the eldest daughter and he asks, born with the power or cursed? So the father, the king, answers, born and they're getting stronger. And then he turns to the young, younger sister under the older sister's spell. The sage rock troll says, lucky is not in her heart, 
The heart is not so easily changed, but the head can be persuaded. Now, you know, could this be a veiled reference to what those responsible for the mass media believe, maybe? Mm. Trying to persuade people's heads? Um, The solution, he says, is to remove all magic and memory of magic from the younger sister's brain. So he does this. Then the older magical sister is told that her powers can be dangerous and fear is her enemy. So the princess's powers get stronger as she grows and her parents tell her to hold them in and try to hide them from as many people as possible, including her younger sister. Now, on one pro-gay website, um, they were saying that they believed that the parents were classic homophobes um, who were telling her um, not to be who she was, to sort of stifle the real her. And telling her to hide her, you know, telling her to hide it away is a reference to sort of suppressing your true sexual orientation, as as they sort of see it. And then the the comment about born with the powers, or what was what did they say, born or or acquired or whatever. Yeah. And it goes along with the, are you born gay or not? Yes. That whole nonsense that your people are born gay. Yeah. If you're born gay, then you can't change, and it's not your fault. That's their what they're trying to imply. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the idea, so when she's um, in there trying to sort of hide her powers, she's kind of locked in a room and you see the younger sister there trying to knock on the door, come and play with her, but she um, she doesn't want to play with her, her um, younger sister. So there's also this um, comparison between being locked in a room and maybe being locked in the closet and later sort of coming out of the closet. Yes. Um, so soon in the story, the king and the queen, um, they die in a storm at sea, very typical of Disney to kill off the parents. It's almost laughably predictable. Hmm. Um, at one point there's a brief scene with a young boy speaking very disrespectfully to his mother, and, of course, he gets away with it. He should get a big smack. <laughs> um, we also see the youngest princess, um, who's the heroine or role model number two, once she's all grown up. She asks, gets asked a question and she tells an outright lie, and, of course, that's okay because it's a means to an end. Um, later we see that she's in blatant pursuit of romance with a man, which also doesn't belong in children's movies, but it's in there. Um, and this is a man that she's, she's met for about five minutes and she's already romantically pursuing him. And remember, this is an empowered woman and she's going out there and she's getting what she wants. Well, these two are just seriously empowered women. It's oh, written yeah. all over the merchandise. And when you start watching that movie, it's in your face. Yeah, definitely yeah. promoting the feminist agenda there not acting in a way that you'd expect a lady to um, be acting. No, not how I want my daughters to behave. No. So to emphasise that the other meaning of the sister's magic powers that make her different indicates a lesbianism, um, we're shown on three occasions when those sisters, when the sisters are younger, where the younger one is clearly attracted to a male figure, yet this is conspicuously absent with the older sister. So they set the scene for this sensible older sister who isn't interested in males at all and then the bimbo silly younger sister who grows up to be all man crazy. So there's no actual role model that, you know, should be showing us how young ladies should be acting. And so I have to say as well, you mentioned that, you know, some people say, oh, the characters are dressed modestly, so that's, that's good. They're actually not dressed modestly. The, the dress lines are low. They, they've got these little sort of sleevey things, but they don't really adhere to the rules of modesty or, at all. Um, so basically to, to recap, the younger sister's there bursting out trying to find true love with a man, and the older magic sister is struggling to hide her true self. 
There's a cringy scene where the younger princess is clearly attracted to a visiting prince. She actually literally falls on top of him. And there's some awkward sort of babbling. And she says to him, seconds after having just met him, you're gorgeous. And, you know, these empowered women aren't backwards in coming forward. So if you've got daughters who are watching this, um, you should be worried because, you know, you don't want them learning their behaviour from a movie like this in terms of how they relate to males. So later in the movie, the elder sister's power manifests at her coronation reception after she's made queen. She's accused of sorcery and being a monster by the remaining male authority figure, because remember, mummy and daddy died, and she flees in terror. We're made, you know, through the music and through the other ways that we're sort of positioned to sympathise with her and to be disgusted at the male authority figure. So he's portrayed as some sort of... um, sort of weak guy who sort of struts around like a peacock sort of thing and has all these character flaws that a lot of the males in Disney cartoons are shown to have. So there's a scene, and I, um, when I saw this movie, this is something that actually, you know, did stand out um, quite blatantly, where the princess runs across the surface of the water because she can freeze it um, into ice at each step and she runs all the way across the fjord. And it did seem to me that it was kind of a parody of our Lord walking on water. And also elsewhere in the film, she tries to use magic to create a snowman and breathe life into him and arranges it so that he never melts. And in doing this, it kind of indicates that she has the power to create and sustain life. And then the whole fjord freezes over and the snow starts falling everywhere and she's created this perpetual winter. Um, And this happens as a result of her magic. So not only has she got the power to, you know, walk on water, create and sustain life, but she's also got power over the elements. So it's worth mentioning at this point that this is actually a variation of the fairy tale. It's either known as the Snow Queen or the Snow Witch. And so in the original tale, the character who turns the world into a perpetual winter is clearly the villain, the witch and the evil character of the story. And she happily gets defeated in the end. However, in the Disney movie, the Snow Queen Witch is the heroine. So this is another example of how these fractured fairy tales that turn um, good into bad and bad into good are sort of all the rage at the moment. So amongst all the men who can go after the queen, the princess says that she must go instead despite all the dangers. So obviously blatant feminist message. You know, the men can't do a good enough job. She has to step in there and show them how it's done. Later we see that she's forceful and bossy and gets her own way as a result. You know, think of the subtle message that this sends children. If they're forceful, if they're bossy, they're going to get their way. And they're all doing that. Exactly. So then you've got the nice piano music that starts and this cues the coming out feature song. And we'll go into that in a minute. And it's got that typical sort of modern female style of singing voice with a very dramatic scene. Um, So going over some of these lyrics, um, it says, you know, the wind is howling like this swirling storm inside, couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. So that sort of says to me, you know, she's she's tried to be straight, um, she couldn't, so she's, she's had to come out. Don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, well, now they know. So she's, she's all her life she's been told, you know, be good, hide it away, um, don't feel it. Um, so then it's let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Mm. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. 
Um, I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. So listening to those lyrics, obviously, um, you know, her deciding to come out um, and, you know, I don't care what they're going to say about the fact that I'm a lesbian, um, I'm going to come out. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. This is an outright rebellious manifesto. It's outrageous. <clears throat> so, yeah, the idea that you're free if you've got no rules. Mm-hmm. The opposite is true. The opposite. I'm about to say that. Yes, definitely. Definitely. It will set you free to achieve happiness and good. Yep. So then we've got the um, let it go, let it go again, so the the um, chorus. And um, the next verse says, My power flurries through the air into the ground. My soul is spiralling in frozen fractals all around. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> she got big problems. If any of our listeners can enlighten me, <clears throat> well, the, you know the New Age talk about the, the 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 fractal matrix, and so it's also like a mathematical term, and it's about shapes. And you know that the like Illuminati type of cultists are just obsessed with, with yeah, maths. yeah, and I'll just that's, that's and their fractals thing. go on forever. You can zoom in on them, and they go on forever, and they zoom in. It's got a it's sort of a uh, you know, what's that term? Infinity. Infinity. Yes, that's a, yeah. sort of almost like. And that, that New Age fractal matrix, if you, you know about how it's into like it's cultist, occultist channeling and the multidimensional reality stuff. But it's worth, yeah, and Scary stuff for a and kid's yeah. song. <laughs> and the spiral, we, I looked up on the internet what that can mean in the occult and it can actually mean universal, which is a bit scary. It's a bit like we have Catholic means universal, mm. but they don't mean it in that way. Yeah. I mean, universal Inverse. Satanism, I would guess. That's their aim. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and... One thought crystallises like an icy blast. I'm never going back. The past is in the past. Um, then you've got the, the um, chorus again, um, and then it says, you know, let it go, let it go. That perfect girl is gone. Um, here I stand in the light of day. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. So, and I'm sure by now any of you who've actually listened to the song have probably, as I've been reading it, got the song in your head and will probably find it very hard to get it out because despite all the messages in it, it's actually a really catchy song and I think it's designed that way so that the messages that are in it, have they have little kids just singing it again and again without knowing <clears throat> um, the meaning. And they're brainwashing themselves with these things. Yeah. yeah I listened to it once just for this show and it was absolutely gobsmacked I was absolutely horrified and I couldn't stand it but it was stuck in my mind so I called my husband and said you're not going to believe what they put into a children's movie so I listened to it one more time with him so I've listened to it a total of twice in my whole life and I kid you not that was burned in my memory it was plaguing me for the next week or so well I'm just trying to go about my business this stupid song has these horrible lyrics going through my mind very very catchy even when I'm trying to pray it's there mm. it was a struggle to get mm. this out and I only heard it twice and when we were saying that you know these things have to have this help of Satan behind them to have a song that catchy that it's in your head for a week there has to be some sort of there is other help 
There must be. I'm pretty sure that angelic nature has a lot to do with um, musical talent. We all know that oh, the, the yeah. choirs of the angels and the music of the angels. But but these could well be, you know, demonic help. These these people have artistic talent. Let's face it, mm. they do fantastic animations. They do fantastic catchy music. But they're just not using these talents for good purposes. They're they're using them for evil purposes. Very much. And so. nobody can deny. Yeah, they're very catchy films and. Uh, you watch the ads, you want to see that film. Mm. You know, we all know that they're grossing billions and gazillions of dollars, which each each, each one of these films. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no doubt they're going to be uh, loved by your children if you don't step in. Yeah. That's right. Unfortunately. And so while while all this is happening, all this song, <clears throat> sort of transitional songs um, being sung there by this, um, or now Queen, because she's had a coronation. Um, she kind of, um, she literally lets her hair down and she changes into this sort of immodest, seductive dress and demeanour. She, I reckon she almost has an evil look about her at yes. this point. Yes, and the bit where she says, the, um, the cold never bothered me anyway, and she has this look of absolute, I just look and think, I know it's just an animation, but it makes me sick. Yeah. I just thought, you're disgusting, I can't stand you. And it's just a drawing. But it's yeah. because of that that really rebellious, prideful look on her face where she says that. Did you notice that? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and but the children love it. That that's the scary thing. And the little girls are emulating this and that's 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 their role model. And again, they don't pick up on these these little things like you know, like that look or or this transformation mm. that happens, but it's there in the subconscious. Well, I've, I've, one of my little girls was telling me that she was at a friend's house and that movie came on and, and she was in a friend's and she didn't want to watch it, but her friend said to her, oh, I just want to watch this bit. And she says, why, it's my, she says, my favourite bit. And she says, this is a bit where she turns beautiful. Oh. And it when my little daughter, she said to me, and that was the bit, Mum, you said there was a bad bit with that bad song and all I listened to. But, yeah, that's the bit, that the little, the, the favourite part where that's she scary. turns beautiful. And, I I mean, she turns a modest mm. and seductive, seductive <laughs> and evil. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so she, we've got this, you know, liberated, modern, powerful woman and it's a coming out song. So she's defiant, she's rebellious, and she's completely unrestrained. Um, and... You know, you might not, you have these kids sort of singing these lyrics, having, yeah, no idea what they're sort of about. Um, but, you know, you've got the potency of the words accompanied with the very catchy music and it just gets into their heads. And um, thinking of how catchy the song is, it reminded me of how, you know, in the earlier days of the church, a lot of the heresies that were really hard to stamp out were so hard because the church would um, put an end to them but the heretics would actually, through music, try and perpetuate them. And so they were yes. being in the minds of people. The hymns. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and it's the same sort of thing. Mm. Spreading the messages. Yes, it's it's through well song. known that music is a very powerful means of conveying, conveying messages and ideas. Well, a lot of our listeners are probably homeschooling mums and they probably know they put their ABCs and the times tables and all sorts of things to music and the children get it straight away. Yeah. And the devil knows the same thing. I'll put my message onto music and it'll just get hammered into that little brain. Exactly, yeah. Many of our listeners should be well aware of how potent these things are. So we've got, um, so listening to this theme and also while watching the actual scene that accompanies it repeatedly and precisely this is what children do they they watch this movie again and again and again 
And these movie producers know that. And by doing that, it ensures that the lyrics and the actions are deeply engraved into the children's minds and they're remembered long after what mum and dad read to them in their catechism or saints books. And as we'd expect, this is a catchy song and it will be repeatedly running through the minds of the children, as we sort of said before, and it's going to remain with them for the rest of their lives to perpetuate the message of turpitude. <clears throat> so, yeah, I've, I mean, I've got colleagues with young children and they've told me just in conversation how often their children, you know, either belt out the song themselves and, of course, they know all the lyrics or they listen to the recording of the song. And, you know, another piece of merchandising um, that Disney makes a lot of money on is a soundtrack. So not only are the kids having these messages pounded into their minds when they're watching the movies, but the parents will buy the um, CD or, you know, download it on the iPod or whatever it is these days and they'll listen to it, you know, in the car, in the around the house or wherever. They can never get away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Always plugged into it. Um, so there's more. What? Um, there's more? <laughs> I'm not talking about a knife set. <laughs> So we've got a um, one of the male characters in the movie has a song where he sings, you know, reindeer are better than people. Um, so Walt Disney is actually said um, said to have thought that animals are better than people and his legacy is still living on. So this, this man character sings and speaks for the reindeer. So, you know, he's singing this song um, and talking to himself as if, as if he's having a conversation with the reindeer. He later then says all men pick their noses and eat it. Um, I assume he's not talking about eating their noses. <laughs> what a corny sideswipe at men. I know. And then the trolls, who are his only friends, apart from his reindeer, sing a song about him, including the line, having a thing for his reindeer, which is a little outside nature's laws. Why would you have a comment like that in a children's movie? If you're trying so to corrupt them. It's the only answer yes. I can think of. Oh, gosh. It's also... Are, are they trying to taboo bust here again? Are they trying to push the boundaries even further? They're, they've already achieved their uh, sodomite agenda. Are they moving on to the next level with this kind of comment? It seems like that's this, the case. This is unbelievable. Yeah. I don't want that filth entering my children's minds at all. <laughs> oh, why <laughs> not? Who kidding? You know what? It's surprising. What's making me very angry is the bait and switch of these people. We will bait you with a well-known, traditional, loved and normal, good fairy story. Mm. Bait you with that as the parent. Oh, Sleeping Beauty or... Nothing wrong with that. just simple little, the you know, you watch the advertisements. Cartoons. Cartoons. You, you watch the ad for this film and it looks really like a feel-good film. And then, you know, you're baited and then they do the dirty on you. They've got your money but they switch and they... Invert that fairy tale to make evil good, good evil, blur all the lines, bring in all their agendas that you don't want for your children. They know you don't want them. And some of these films, I believe, are even aimed, perhaps this one, because of the modest dress. I believe they've even aimed that at conservative Christians because conservative Christians, a lot of them just look whether A conservative Christian is not going to look twice at The Little Mermaid. They just know it's out of the question. Exactly. Yes. But they will look at this film and say, oh, well, they're dressed modestly. There are some sleeves. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's just about two sisters and uh, they'll probably let that one slip through. So they've, I've noticed they've started to put some modest dress on. Same for that movie Brave. You think, look mm -hmm. at that, modest dress. It's set in medieval times. It must be about back in the good old glorious days of Christendom. Why, these must be good films. Yes, well, we'll get into that one later. But the bait and switch is there. They're yes. Not, excuse me, interrupting, but I just felt That's very okay. passionate no, no, about no. that. Very good input. Very good, very worthwhile input. 
It's also worth noting that there's the inversion of the traditional Christian myth with the trolls in the film being friendly and helpful to humans when it's Mm. traditionally been the opposite. That's right. As if parents would go to trolls to find out what to do about a sick child. I know, it's ridiculous when you think about it, isn't it? That's absurd. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, they don't have much intelligence to craft their, you know, how they bring evil in to give away. I have to rely on little trolls to tell you what to do. In these circular Stonehenge type of openings in the woods. Mm, yeah. exactly. So, you know, it culminates sort of just like Maleficent with the replacement of the required act of true love, not coming from the prince or any male character, but from a female character. Also similar to Maleficent, where they develop the devil character into a mother figure to the princess before planting true love's first kiss on her. In Frozen, they had to make it true love between sisters. And I think this is so that this sort of female-to-female true love arrangement isn't too obviously LGBT, UN, whatever else. Yeah, not that easy for the parents to pick up on. Yeah, it's sort of subtle. <clears throat> it gives them an out, doesn't it? Mm, yes. It gives them a yeah. little bit of an out. A bit of ambiguity. So if you're trying to, yeah, look for an out, you can Just find it there. Sisterly love, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But it's not. Um, and also, just like in Maleficent, the prince comes across as a double-crossing creep. And again, we see the inversion of this traditional fairy tale symbolism. The Christ figure is portrayed as the deceiving antagonist. That's right, because the prince is a Christ figure. And what Disney has done, is he's always the bad guy. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the second empowered woman literally punches the prince in the face and he falls into the fjord. So you've got violence, aggression, rebellion against traditional forms. That's a way to solve all your problems, children. Just yeah. punch them out. <laughs> Great. They're so profound and deep, these messages. Particularly a good way for young ladies to act. Indeed. So basically when it gets down to it, parents who allow their children to be indoctrinated with this movie can expect bad attitudes, disrespect, disobedience, rebellion, aggression, and selfishness in the short term. And in the long term, I don't even want to think about what kind of things it could lead to. Horrible. What I found really disturbing, which is one of the reasons... I felt compelled to expose Frozen in particular, is that I've heard reports from a number of friends indicating that very many, and I mean very many, traditional Catholic children have been watching this particular movie repeatedly, literally more than once daily, for about a year already, and they never get sick of it. Now, these children also, very early in the piece, knew the songs off by heart, which we went into how terrible that particular song was, and they were going around singing them, and particularly the main one, and as you mentioned, there was that simultaneous intense radio promotion of that Let It Go song, so that even mainstream adults knew the song by heart, and they probably still do. Anyway, when I questioned my friends about, you know, do they mean that even all the boys were obsessed with this movie as well? Because I can see easily how this movie would appeal to girls, mm. but given there are no male characters in this film that are made to be appealing even to the slightest degree, I couldn't see any little boys <clears throat> being attracted to this, like, femo flick. And because they made all the males seem like they're the absolute pits and total losers. And and my friend said, yes, the boys also are addicted to the movie. And they said their character that they all love is the snowman. I thought, aha, so that's the hook for the boys. Mm. And this is a non-human character who was created by the witch, and that's their hero. It's, it's pretty disturbing. We're not even talking about just the mindless worldlings children out there being addicted to this movie because many Catholic parents have also sacrificed their children's minds to Moloch too in this regard. They, their children are also watching this movie. So you know, children the world over are still mm. now 
totally obsessed with it. This is nearly two years after its release, and that's just not normal. And Louise, you've you've you know intimated about you think there's something demonic going on. And I, I agree. I think this movie is actually literally bewitching. And interestingly, the opening song itself perhaps holds a clue to the entrancing and mesmerizing power of this particular movie. And it goes, "Ice has a magic can't be controlled. Stronger than one, stronger than ten, stronger than a hundred men." Now. As the title suggests, I mean, it's called Frozen, this movie is filled with ice-like imagery and lyrics. So maybe these people are referring to this movie itself having an incredible, strong magic that can't be controlled. I mean, who knows? And it actually has crossed my mind that there is possibly some sort of witchcraft type of spell over this whole movie. And it's hard to explain this. It probably sounds nuts. But I've actually never seen a phenomenon quite like this before with any movie, which on the surface seems pretty much just like another dumb and boring animation, really, like a cartoon. Yet for some inexplicable reason, it completely entrances all young children of every religion and every walk of life. They are all totally obsessed with this and they never, ever, ever get sick of it. It's actually spooky. It is, and I was um, listening to an interview with someone on the internet. I think you listened to the... Yes. I think you listened to the same one, Teresa, and um, this guy who had been involved in Hollywood was saying that in order to ensure that a movie is successful, they will um, basically make sacrifices to Satan um, to ensure its success. So yes. I hate to think of what's been sacrificed um, here for the success of this movie. I don't think we can even go into that because it's just too far yeah. out of the scope of this show, but it is something that parents need to you know, just perhaps be aware of and before they partake of these things which are clearly satanically inspired. And, yeah, it's a, it's, it is, that was a horrible, horrible um, interview. I mean, oh, anyway, but going back to this particular movie, um, for our listeners, just as an FYI, I, I don't know if you picked up, but the opening song itself about ice, where it talks about its alleged magic and incredibly strong controlling qualities, also has a line, let it go which is that central theme song that you just you mentioned and discussed before Jacinta, and that's repeated in the chorus. So they're letting us know this is the message, let it go. It's a coming out. So also not just in that respect, but it's let it go and, and far as, as far as morals. So parents, yes. please be aware and be on guard because this particular concept of quote-unquote let it go is the underlying brainwash mantra of the modern media as it sums up what Satan is trying to achieve, and that being a total letting go of all Christian doctrines, morals, and social mores. And it's it's everywhere there. So if you start paying attention to what these particular entertainments promote, like all of them, you will start to notice this new age, let it go concept everywhere. So like the creeds are relentlessly hammering this Luciferian doctrine in every arena that they control, which is literally everything mainstream, to further their law of untruth, their God who is a devil, and their cult of turpitude. We'll have to continue the Disney expose in our next show next month. But for now, is there anything you'd like to say in closing, Jacinta? Basically, that these movies might seem like they're really harmless, but if you see, if you understand the background of the people who sort of create them, it's scary. And, and they're there putting these messages in them on purpose to indoctrinate and to corrupt your children. That's right. And further to what Teresa was saying, these movie and TV producers, they are systematically tearing down the very fabric of the Christian doctrine of our traditional beliefs and our true morality. And they're substituting in its place this anti-Christian paganism. 
So this is this is why Catholics have to totally cut these things out of their life, you know, if they want to bring their children on the path to heaven. For sure. And and we've barely even touched the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more on this, mm-hmm. and please join us next month where we will continue the expose on Disney and then we'll go on to the other producers as well. Well, once again, Louise and Jacinta, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. Thank you, Teresa. Thanks, Teresa. If you have any questions for Jacinta and Louise or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your comments or questions to Jacinta and Louise. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.